The accompanying scripture to our second message is not Jean th- Jean. John 3.16, as shown in the bulletin, it's Mark 6. Mark 6. Okay, our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Barnabas Grayson. His sermon is entitled, Thy Kingdom Come. Good afternoon. I was looking in the mirror this morning and this afternoon, making sure that my hair was in place, and I noticed how white as snow I was getting to be. I didn't look very long. Changes over time. Happens to all of us, you guys with the hair, dark hair, or no hair, whatever. Yes, the scripture is from Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 10. Familiar scripture because it's where God is teaching us, where Christ is teaching us the Lord's Prayer. Today, we know that the world is in turmoil. There's civil, there's political, there's social division, even rebellion against government as we see in Syria. We know what's taking place over there. But it's been like that since the beginning of time. Could it be any worse? Some think that due to more people and more breaking news happening right, right on the airwaves, it only seems that perils have uh, been increased due to that. And that the troubles we see are just um, relative to the time that we live in and the situations that we see. But Perils, we know, have always been. Perils, as defined, is dangers. Dangers to life. It's just that news back in those days traveled much slower. People, you know, rode horses, or they walked, or they ran, or they uh, sent smoke signals, like they say some of my people did. (laughs) Or drums pounding in the forest to warn of pending trouble or meetings so on. But news travels slowly in those days, so we might as well assume that, you know, troubles at this time can compare with those troubles back in those ages. Some did not know uh, who Genghis Khan was until he invaded. And then people warned about him and warned, wrote about him and warned about him. Now, we see perils, you know, as described in Matthew 24, we're familiar with that, we're not going there, as happening more and more on the other side of the world. Because we here in America are somewhat insulated from a lot of things that are happening there. But even so, those signs that we see in Matthew 24 are surely going to come to pass even more as time goes on. Those things that we see there are just foretastes of some of the troubles and trials that are to come upon this nation. In our age today, you know, certain studies can link the evils of this time to the things that are happening among people, among society today. For example, and Curtis covered a little bit of this, where it says, I shall not commit adultery. 
But we see things that people are doing on TV episodes that seem to encourage that kind of lifestyle and make it glamorous and look good. We also see blatant signs of crime and murder as ads for the next episode of some detective program or a police program. Is that nice to make? Hello? There. Must have been something I ate. Wow. <laughs> it picks up everything, doesn't it? Quite threw me off. Where am I? <laughs> Conclusion. It's <laughs> pretty good. Every time I get up here, I wind up being a comedian. I don't know. A buffoon is what they call me. <laughs> I can't get over that now. Let me clear my mind here. <laughs> that brought to mind a little joke I heard, but I'm not going to tell it. <clears throat> anyway, blatant scenes of crime and murder. When you see these things happening on your TV screen, they are so grotesque, so horrible looking. People getting shot in the head, splatters of blood against the wall. What kind of influence is that having on people today? on those who view those things and who just seem to want to get into this grotesqueness that society is uh, presenting before us. So we are in need of God's kingdom to come. Because when those troubles multiply or amplify in our world due to the acceptance of evil, calling evil good and so on, we will see an even greater need for the kingdom of God to be established. And that's what I want this message to be about today, is the kingdom of God. There was a time when leaders used to talk about a new world order. But the sound of that scared people, and so, uh, because people were, you know, connecting it with, with conspiracies and so on. So it is put, in other words, it might be things like a global monetary system, or the UN, or the European Economic Union, some of those things. But we see that in our world today, the kingdoms that are around us, we see some characteristics that are not good. These are the consequences of sin when we see unending warfare. We see polarization. We see pollution. We see starvation, disease, and natural disasters. And Satan, who is the god of this age, knows a kingdom divided against itself shall cannot stand. And he would like to make us wonder and have doubts about the so-called kingdom of heaven. But we are forerunners of that kingdom that is to come. And as the apostles were, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now many believe, of course, and I gave this in a sermon before, that uh, many believe in God and in going to heaven when they die. They hope that they will join loved ones and others who have passed away and are looking down from heaven upon them. But, you know, is that, how, is that how it is? Doesn't it make you just a little uncomfortable to know that your loved one who's passed on 
sees everywhere you're going, watching everything you do. But Christ said, familiar scripture once again, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and this is from John chapter 14, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven that is to come. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So Christ said he will come again, and his reward will be with him. That means the Christian reward of everlasting life in heaven has not been given yet. Christ must first come again and bring that reward of eternal life. And of course, it also means the kingdom of God coming to this earth. So, that time to come, there is going to be a literal and miraculous restoring of life to the dead in Christ. Those who die in Christ. Those doing the will of God at that time. And those who are alive and remain at his coming, having endured this end time tribulation that is to come before the kingdom is established, will receive that reward. That means <clears throat> this is something that we are working toward. Working out our salvation. We know that uh, in 1 Corinthians 15... But even before that, we know that as in Adam, all die, but even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and becoming the firstfruits of them that slept. I read where a grandfather had, uh, had, he had either made a big billboard for, he, he was an atheist, he, uh, he said he wanted to leave this for his grandchildren, that this is the only life they have, so you enjoy it. Words to that effect. But here we see that if in this life only we have hope, in Christ, we are all, of all men, most miserable. But we know that Christ is risen from the dead. We know from reading the truth of God that that is so. And that we have become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So at that time, you know, Christ is going to meet with some resistance. Even now there is resistance to the thought of the kingdom of heaven coming to this earth. 
But every man in his own, own order, as it says. Christ the first fruit. Afterward, they that are Christ. And when will that be? We see in verse 23, at his coming. So mankind, that's you and me, we're mortal flesh and blood being appointed once to die. Romans 6, 12, it says, therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You know, that's the seat of the choices that we make. Those choices reside in our mind, in our heart, in our brain, which is flesh. In Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. And so, Brian, if you're looking for that scripture, I didn't give that to you, but I just read it. <coughs> In Hebrews 9, once again, we see that it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's a judgment coming when that kingdom comes. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming with salvation for us because those who are forgiven of sin will receive that salvation. Sometimes it depends on how big the sin is in your life that you welcome that salvation. Appointed once to die. How many times? Once. It doesn't say twice, but once in this life. I've read of inst instances, and you probably have too, where people have claimed to have gone to heaven, saw things there, and came back and, you know, wrote a book about it or wrote something about it. There are some whose hearts have stopped beating and been pronounced dead and then started breathing again. And while they were dead, they could look down upon their bodies and see what was going on before coming back to life. But the scriptures let us know that at the moment of death, all consciousness ends. In Ecclesiastes 9, 5 through 6. For the living... Know that they shall die. But the dead know not anything. Those who are dead, those who are beneath the ground, so to speak, beneath those headstones, they don't know anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. So, verse 6, also their love, that's all their emotions, their hatred, their envy, is now perished, it's now put to an end. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun in this age, that is. In Psalm 146, once again we see, his breath goeth forth. He returns to his earth in that very day, his thoughts perish. All thoughts perish. But in that interval of time, ever how long it takes, ever how long it may be, the next thing they see and hear is from 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And that is, you know, at his coming. So the dead are described as being asleep. 
Verse 11 in John chapter 11, Christ described death as a sleep. In verse 11, he said, these things said he, and after that he said unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then he said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. So, you know, they thought he was sleeping just like any other human being would be sleeping when they're tired, that he would just sleep, but Christ was going to go wake him up. But how be it, verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they had thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so we see that the dead remain in that state of unconsciousness until their wake-up call at the last trump at Christ's return. So only Christ has immortality, but we are mortal. But in the resurrection, the dead in Christ will receive immortality in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery which we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption, corruptible, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this Corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So there are times in our human life when we will face death, because we know that we're appointed to that time sooner or later. And those who, whom God may not choose to heal during this age, the next thing that happens to them in the twinkling of their eye, at the moment they close their eyes in death, they are immediately awakened into that kingdom. Even though several hundred or a thousand years have passed in the twinkling of an eye, at the resurrection, when that kingdom comes, that they will receive salvation and eternal life. And that's, that's good news. That's the gospel. That trumpet will call, will sound for them, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. And this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, for the dead, it will be like awakening from a deep sleep or like from a knockout punch. I've told you the story before of how I was playing racquetball while I should have been working. I was just waiting for the floor to dry, but it wasn't completely dry. And I hit the uh, racquetball and slipped on the wet floor, and my head went against the wall. Knocked myself out. I don't remember crawling from the, uh, that room to, uh, down to the next handball court where my uh, partner was working. And he said, I just stood up in the doorway and, and he said, uh, I said, I knocked myself out. And then I collapsed to the floor. <laughs> and <clears throat> so they laid me somewhere in, in the handball court there. And, uh, I heard people every once in a while make sounds, and, uh, and they even said I was singing Elvis Presley songs during my... <laughs> and I kept asking, what time is it? What time is it? 
I didn't know a thing, bits and pieces. I was knocked out. But that's the way it is, you know. Uh, you know, when Jackie Gleason used to tell his wife that he was going <laughs> to, what do you use that expression? Uh, knock you the next Tuesday or something of that sort. <laughs> what is that? Pow to the moon. <laughs> that's space travel one of these days, I guess. He knock you out and you don't know you're there until you're there. But this, 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 this that is going to come, this awakening, when that kingdom of God comes, is a great gospel to have in our hearts and to have as our hope. So every saint down through the edges and ahead will receive eternal life when the dead in Christ awaken at their resurrection. For them it will only seem like a fraction of a second has passed. In John chapter 5 and verse 28, Marvel not at this, said the Apostle Paul. For the hour is coming, the time is coming, in the which all that are in their graves, that means all that are dead, shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You know, just like your alarm clock that goes off to wake you up and you've got a day ahead to face. That's the way it will be with that shout and the trumpet call. So that time is yet to come, the resurrection of life in the kingdom of God. Then we know that the dead in Christ will bear the image of the heavenly and shall be like him, alive and immortal, for they will be changed into spirit beings like Christ, for they shall see him as he is, as an immortal spirit being. And you can read elsewhere about, you know, this, this type of uh, uh, immortality, the spirit being. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 20, he said that our conversation is in heaven, from which we eagerly await uh, the Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. So our citizenship is in heaven. It is in that kingdom to come. Is our name written there? Is, you know, is my name written there? Is a song that uh, sometimes we hear sung. And we wait for that kingdom to come. That new world order, so to speak, to come that is under Christ and not under any man. That time will come. And believers will be raised a spiritual body, given a crown of life. Even though we're sown a, a, a natural body, we will be raised a spiritual body. Because we know there's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We're just natural right now. So Christ came to deliver that good news concerning salvation and the coming kingdom of God to you and me. Matthew, uh, that is Mark, Mark 1, 14 through 15. Uh, there we go. <laughs> now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came unto Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching the good news about a coming kingdom. 
And he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe this good news. Repent and believe it. Change. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It wasn't going to come at that moment or at the, the end of that day or the end of that week. But it was going to be coming in their lifetime. Because when they die, the next thing that happens to them is that they arise in the kingdom of God. When we look at all of the things that our Savior did for us, He gave up His glory, He gave up His immortality, He changed to a flesh and blood human being by being born as a, a natural man, ever how that was made possible. It was to be as a sacrifice for us, for each and every one of us, to pay the death penalty for sins that are repented of and to make it possible to inherit the kingdom of God and everlasting life. Now, Christ's disciples thought that he had come at that time to establish that kingdom of God in their lifetimes. Six days before the Passover in John chapter 12, it says, the people took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, and they cried, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Save now. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Sion. Behold, your king comes, sitting on an ass's colt. So they knew that they were to expect that. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remember they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So Christ rode in to Jerusalem on an ass, on a donkey, and they greeted him as king. And many saw in him the hope and the restoration of Israel and getting rid of the Roman oppression, the Roman occupation. And they asked, will you now return or restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they asked him. But when you look at his mode of transportation, it was not, was not like the way that conquering kings would ride in on a city. They rode in on horses and dressed as a warrior, as kings, you know, would have it. But Christ rode in peaceably and humbly. And that was a symbol of his coming in peace. But, you know, as we read the rest of the story, the time, the, the time had come that he would also be betrayed. So we see later how it was that the people decided who they wanted to save. They wanted to save Barabbas instead of Christ. Barabbas was an insurrectionist and he was a murderer. He was son of Abba, or earth, an earthly father. And Christ, you know, was the son of the heavenly father. At least with Barabbas, the people thought, well, uh, they would have a fighting chance instead of Christ who turned the other cheek, so to speak. He didn't put up a fight. He even healed a soldier uh, who had come to arrest him. You remember uh, Peter had uh, sliced off the man's ear and Christ picked it up and put it right back on. Matthew 26 Verse 45, Then came he to his disciples, and he said unto them, 
Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that does betray me. And while he yet spoke, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, and he said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore are you come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took, took him, for another word was spoken. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. That had to be a real clean shot. When you think about it, imagine his ear just, it could have been big ears. <laughs> but even if it were small, the ear came off. And he picked it up, put it back on, and instantly, a miraculous thing that Jesus Christ was able to do. Then Jesus said unto him, put up again your sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Think you that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So all those things that happened was according to a plan, a layout, a scriptural layout of th the things that Jesus Christ had to fulfill. So later, Pilate, in essence, he asked Christ, who stood before him in arrest, he said, I heard you were a king, so to speak. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked. Mark chapter 15, it says, that, uh, verse 2, it says that Christ said, you sayest it. You say he said, he said to Pilate. And we read in John 18, John 18, uh, verse 34 through 36. I'll skip most of this. Just, just to point out that uh, the saying, the way Christ replied to Pilate, he said, say this of yourself, or did others tell you that I was a king of the Jews? And then he says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Now Christ was accused of many things by the chief priests, and he still said nothing. And Pilate marveled. And as a lamb led innocently to slaughter, so did our Savior pave the way for our salvation and the peaceful kingdom to come. But the people all said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. And they did. Revelation 19 Verse 11, and I saw heaven and open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. He judges and makes war. 
His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he's coming back in a different way. Coming back as a savior, as a warrior, riding in on horses. And the kingdoms of this world shall become his, and his reward is with him, and his saints will be kings and priests to rule with him. Zechariah 14. <clears throat> his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Revelation 2, it says, He that overcomes and keeps my words unto the end, my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And in Daniel 7, 18, it says, And the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. So we see what our calling is going to be like in the kingdom of God that is to come. But we know that there's first coming a time of great tribulation such as never was in all of earth's history. All life will be on the brink of extinction. And we will see uh, gloomy days if we are around at that time. But for the elect's sake, those days will be cut short. We know that, you know, a kingdom, as defined, is, you know, a, a comprised of people, ruled by a king, has laws, and has territory. Today's kingdoms or governments are in the hands of men are evil and corrupt, subject to all those things, greed, violence, socially, economically, politically, religious. All this turmoil is bound to bring about collapse because of the way of peace. They know not. But that kingdom that is to come is going to be a peaceful, everlasting one in which we have been called to have a hand in. It will not rest in the hands of man, but in the hands of Jesus Christ and the saints. In Isaiah 11, 9, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God, of the Lord. And many shall go and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain, to the government of the Lord. And he will teach us of his ways. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and neither shall they learn war anymore. So... <clears throat> Christians who overcome the waywardness of this present age will be given rule, some over five cities, some over ten. And every saint who has ever lived and overcome sin in their lifetime will become co-heirs with Christ to rule with him in the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 2. Christ is uh, speaking to the church in Thyatira. As many as have not this doctrine and have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which you have already hold, already hold, 
Wait a minute, start again. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star is what some refer to. You know, you look in the morning, you see Venus, that bright, shiny uh, light in the eastern sky. You see it in the evening. It's a light, a bright light at morning as well as evening. And it symbolizes to many a new start, a new and refreshing hope for each day. But this represents Christ for, and all those who come to be a part of that kingdom that is to come. It's a symbol of victory over death, over sin. Daniel chapter 12, beginning verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of, my, of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So in that scripture, even though we see a time such as never was, which seems like a very perilous, a very dangerous time, in which, you know, a life is going to be right on the brink of execution, there is uh, words of hope. Because at that time, your people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And we know that to be true today. So they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Revelation 2, 29, and something else to think about the morning star, is also, uh, you know, the sun is a star, and it rises in the east very brightly, and it goes down also in the west as a star. So the morning star, brightness and hope, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 30 uh, thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall you be saved, and in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. But you said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall you flee, and we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall you flee, till you be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as an ensign. On a hill. So these, these people had the light, but they loved darkness rather. And they wanted to do things their own way. They didn't like to hear the, the holy commandments given to them or his hatred of sin. And they desired that they might not be more reminded. They despised the word of God, as, as, uh, uh, as Henry's commentary says. But sins were undermining their safety. In verse 18, therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. 
For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you at the voice of your cry. When he shall hear, he will answer you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, you shall not, yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner any more. But your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is a way. Walk you in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. This is a way. Walk you in it. That was the voice of Moses and the prophets and the apostles and the words of Christ today. And it shall be in the kingdom of come. The voice of a supernatural angel in the kingdom of God to come in that day when Satan will not be around to deceive. The voice of messengers that will go as living waters out from Jerusalem in the kingdom to direct the people. Just before they commit the sin, they will say, this is the way, walk you in it. And those who come to believe this gospel must heed that call to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we know, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and blessed are they that do his commandments. Christ told Nicodemus, you must be born again. As a reminder, Christ said, Behold, I come quickly. And he said, My reward is with me to give every man according to his as his work shall be. You know, works don't earn salvation. We know that. And says that by grace are ye saved. Salvation is, is a gift. It's the eternal's gift of love. It's his mercy and his kindness and forgiveness. Because we accept his son, Jesus Christ, our coming king as our savior. We also read that faith without works is dead. That means we act upon our faith. We build our lives on the word of God and help others in a good way. We replace hate with love, impatience with long-suffering, sadness with joy, discouragement with hope, darkness with light. And we've been given the light of the truth through the Holy Scriptures that we must feed upon the words of God for, for these things to be certain in our life. The Holy Spirit, it's a power that goes often untapped sometimes if we let the petty things of life interfere and blind us to the gift that the Father has given us. So if others see us going the wrong way, what are they going to think? They'll see us dishonoring the name of the Lord. But imagine that time that is coming when you will awake to hear and be in that kingdom and Christ will say to you, Come, you blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This world is, this age is going, is groaning for peace and harmony. As Romans 8.22 tells us, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, what does he yet hope for? Now we have yet to see the kingdom to come. We do not see it now, but we know it will be as is promised in the scriptures. That is our hope and our only hope in this, this age. And it is waiting 
as it is for others like you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Christ said, and while we have the time and the opportunity in this, in this thing we call life, we have time to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and come to repentance and believe the good news and the coming kingdom of God. We're told to love not the world. That is the false and evil ways of the world in most everything it does. That can lead you astray. There's a lot of good in the world, but it seems more and more it gets harder to see and find. People the world over suffer in many ways, as those you know, you've read about in the Philippines today and that, that super storm they're having, that, that typhoon. Typhoon and hurricane are you know, pretty much the same, just different languages and different worlds. But it's been like that since time began. Our hope is for a new world order, that of the heavenly kingdom of God, not in the hands of man, but in the hands of Jesus Christ and his saints. So that is why we should pray for thy kingdom to come and his will to be done in, in us. So, Ron, that's the conclusion of the whole thing. <laughs>